Hello, I'm Claire White. And I'm James Foey. And we are Dragon Sexy Robots and Adventures, a nerd manual. We are here to discuss new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And today, we are celebrating our 100th episode. How did we do it? I still don't know. Miracles and grit. Pretty much, pretty much. So after all those miracles and all that grit, we would thought we thought we would celebrate by talking about our favorite three episodes slash topics that we've covered. Yes, things that we enjoyed at the time and also perhaps that stayed with us as time went on. Exactly. And our other host, Kai Willoughby, cannot be here. He is certainly still part of the podcast. And if we ever get him back, we will have to have him talk about how horrible a summer can get. Just so you know, the, the place that it's at for him, he missed a D&D session today. So you know it's bad. God knows what state he's in. <laughs> so I let's start off and start talking about our 100 episodes. And James and I are going to take a guess at what Kyle's favorite episode was. You're welcome, Kyle. We feel that we can speak for you. <laughs> so James, what is one of your favorite episodes? Uh, one of my favorite episodes, at least the first that comes to mind, is our Black Panther episode. Mm. In part because um, I ended up being so grateful for how good the film was, and I was so worried about it. It had so much pressure on it. Um, And I was ready for, you know, a a cultural fight over whether it was any good or not. Um, And it, it ended up being something that I really enjoyed. And the conversation that we got to have about it here on the podcast where we discussed what Afrofuturism is as a genre and how it applied to the alternate history that Black Panther employs for this high-tech civilization and nation of Wakanda in Africa that never suffered the effects of slavery. Um, it was really interesting, and, and it stayed with me as I've looked at other things since we did that episode. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the research you did on Afrofuturism, and it's made me look at Black Panther and other media in a different way, and a- African culture as well, and the the culture of being other, you know, and how Afrofuturism is a part of that. Yes, and 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 how well science fiction can handle the idea of being an other. Um, mm-hmm. And and also help you imagine what if it weren't this way, <laughs> you know that the the idea of of playing with where things could go in the future as a way of examining uh, our present is something that science fiction does for a host of of cultural and you know social issues, um, but Afrofuturism does it in a particular way. And uh, one of the things that really stood out to me um, that has stayed with me in looking at other films is this idea that when you imagine the future who you imagine in it is a statement. Uh, And it really struck me after covering Black Panther and the idea of Afrofuturism and the importance of that work, how radical it is that the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, doesn't have any black characters. Uh, That it's all these American and uh, English white people that inhabit space. No people of color. No people of color, period. And there's been such a negative reaction across the country to the diversity in the new Star Wars films. And while I really, I hated The Last Jedi, hated it, um, I wasn't mad about the focus on diversity or the fact that people of color were just present in a galaxy that's teeming with all kinds of aliens. Was it the strong women? As well. Yeah, that that was what did it, Claire. You're right. I wasn't going to mention it, but that <laughs> riled me up. No, but uh, anyway, 
when you're making a fantasy world too, uh, you are making a statement about who you think will um, is worth telling a story about and the way that you see them. And when you make a science fiction story that's set in the future, uh, you are making a statement about who's going to last, who's even going to be present, and who you think isn't going to make it. And when, even if you make that statement innocently, it, it's, uh, oh, goodness, it can be impactful in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that stayed with me from uh, Black Panther, thinking that way and as a lens with which to view people's reactions to diversity in filmmaking and the really powerful idea that, especially because of the African diaspora, that black people in America don't have uh, a distinct past that they can trace back to, um, that imagining a future in Afrofuturism helps to also imagine that past. Um, which, anyway, that's a whole lot. Claire was very patient with me rambling about that just now. But it's very it really, interesting. Yeah, really it actually is me. very interesting, and it's very powerful. And either way you look at how it's interpreted, it's powerful, and it's a statement, which is interesting, because especially in this day and age where any kind of casting feels like a statement. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be. That's something that I talk about with friends, that for me to get a job shouldn't always be, especially in a, a movie set in the future, it doesn't need to be some radical statement for right. me to be on set. I just think with the current climate, it tends to be. Yes, especially with the beloved franchise where that's a notable departure. And I love Star Wars for the record. Empire Strikes Back, my favorite movie, unapologetically. Not just because it has Lando. <laughs> Anyway. So moving on from Black Panther slash Star Wars, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to go on to one of my favorite things that we covered, which is in a very different direction. It's uh, the big book of science fiction. Yes. Which we covered in the first year of our podcast. It was one of our earliest episodes. And the reason I picked it was because, A, it's an anthology of science fiction stories over the past hundred years collected by Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. And the quality of the stories is top-notch. They sourced them from all over the world and were very selective about what they put in. Um, And it goes in order of date. So you start with H.G. Wells and you end, I can't remember who wrote the last story, but it was written in 2007 or something like that. But what I really loved about this is that it was the first time we were looking at the origins of science fiction Um, We talked about Mary Shelley, and we also, for the first time on our podcast, in a conversation that we continued to have, was to talk about what is science fiction versus fantasy. And I feel like a lot of our podcast has been looking at the difference between the two and how interconnected they are. But I love the work. It opened my eyes to just a whole new slew of writers. And I also loved what we, the conversation that started there that still continues today on here. Maybe yes. I'm giving us too much credit. No, but. no. I think that that was um, – it was a really – I think that was in the first year of our podcast. It, was, it wasn't that many episodes in. Um, and I think it was a great gift to us that as we were starting this podcast uh, so early on, that book came out because it's such a great resource for looking at uh, the arcs that science fiction has taken. And also the, they, they made sure in that anthology to include science fiction from – multiple parts of the world so you could see the role that it played culturally in places like Russia as well in the Soviet Union and and what science fiction could do there that it might not be needed to do so as much in America you know the right. strength of the genre and I, I knew that like I knew that science fiction could be used as a, to- a tool of rebellion or, or dissent by yes. not but not really dissenting because you weren't writing about your current government technically but I feel like I I really learned that. 
when I was looking over this anthology, which I, you know, full disclaimer, I still haven't finished. It's a thousand pages long. It's huge. And by a thousand pages, it's a thousand huge pages with teeny tiny font. Yes, yes. It's it's a full read. But it's like this this treasure trove that mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. What is your number two, I guess? Oh, my number two, I will, <laughs> I have to say it was getting to cover Journey to the West as a prelude to our coverage of Dragon Ball mm, Z. I could have predicted that one. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's funny because uh, that segment was really almost like a, a continuation of an earlier segment I got to do in um, Into the Badlands when we were looking at where wire foo comes from and these kinds of stories and why people move in Hong Kong action films the way that they so often do. Uh, And we learned that that is because it comes out of trying to represent the heroes of wuxia, which is a whole genre of Chinese folklore that's been around for thousands of years that is Taoist in its roots and is stories of martial heroes. Um, who had all kinds of fantastic powers that you can then see in stories like Journey to the West, which have been around also for now hundreds of years, you know, since that was published, and directly influences things like Dragon Ball Z. Mm -hmm. Not just Hong Kong action flicks, all kinds of anime and uh, Chinese films, especially the action variety that we've enjoyed and started to appreciate more here in the West. It has its roots in big stories like Journey to the West. Uh, And it was wonderful for me to find the bones of things that I love so much. Yeah. And then have it connect me to other things that I might also love. Well, I also thought... It was very interesting to do this topic because so much of what we look at is Western science fiction and fantasy. So when we trace the roots of it, it has Western roots. And it was so interesting to look at Journey to the West, which is standard reading for people in China and I think in a lot of parts of Asia as well. And to trace the roots of something that wasn't Western literature or the ancient, it didn't go back to the ancient Greeks. You know, that's not where Journey to the West is rooted in. Um, And it was, I'm looking forward to doing more stories that have different origins than, you know, I don't know. The same old Arthurian. Homer. (laughs) Yes, yes. Greek and and Arthurian. I mean, not that I don't love those, but it was just this really refreshing, cool thing to look at. Because I feel like as a Western society, we kind of tend to stick to our stories and we don't tend to reach outside. I think especially because America is such a dominant culture um, in the world right now. Yes, we export Hollywood and our cultural um, history and legacy everywhere else. And only now as things become more globalized is it easier to get access to stories told by people around the world, Mm -hmm. which is why I got to grow up with anime and my parents didn't. (laughs) Thank God for that. Uh, I will say just, um, you know, check out the episode if that sounds like it's interesting to you. But just one more tip on that for those just uh, so you can tell if you might be interested. I would say one big difference that we covered with a a story that is wuxia about people with superpowers versus – uh, the kind of tale we tend to see here with like um, a Marvel superhero, for instance, or a, especially a DC superhero like Superman, is that it's really a story about self-refinement. Um, the powers are something that anyone could have. They just have to put the time in and the spiritual practice in mm. to get there, to have these they're things. They're not a mutant. Yes, they're not a mutant and they're not somebody from another planet. They're someone who took a path that you too could take. And so much anime is about the virtues of hard work and refining oneself. And it's something that I find that I enjoy throughout so many. And I'm, I'm getting the signal to wrap up, and, and so we will. <laughs> At least this part. 
<laughs> I want to talk to of course. James. No, and that's a great thing. What, what was your second favorite thing? Well, I, I thought we weren't really going in order of favorites. Oh, we were yes. just going in order of episodes that we enjoyed a lot. Yes, and stayed with us. And, and I, I'm not doing mine in order of favorites either. Just what's the next one you want to talk so, about? So there were so many to pick from, and <laughs> I love so many of the topics. I'm picking this one because— I think I was introduced to one of the greatest pieces of art made, and I hadn't seen it before, but it's it's Princess Mononoke. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, and the segment on it was really interesting, talking about your uh, segment on Feudal Japan and Kyle's segment on Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki, who made the movie. It, it was so fascinating. Again, this isn't like we don't focus a ton on Eastern cultures. It was interesting to learn about Japan and Hayao Miyazaki. And it was also just anime done so well. Just so well. And the movie was so good and continues to stick with me. And then to have your segments enhance it for me that way was just a really lovely thing. I think it was also nice for me because I just engineered that podcast. So I just got to listen, you know, and it was just this lovely, wonderful thing that I got to have in my life. I was so glad and relieved that for as much as Kyle and I talked up Princess Mononoke and how great it was that you appreciated it as much as you did, that it had that impact on you this many years after its release. Yeah, it's wonderful. It really is. And I think it's one of those things that this podcast has introduced me to so many great pieces of art, and that was one of the best. Yes. Also, it's it's funny because I'd enjoyed his work so much, but until um, preparing for the podcast and, of course, enjoying Kyle's segment on the production talking about Miyazaki, I knew that probably someone like Miyazaki who had made such great work over such a lengthy period of time um, would probably think very profound thoughts about the work, but it was really delightful to get to delve into them and, and to see how he applied it uh, yeah. to make something like Mononoke. Yeah, and his optimism you know like he we talked about this a little bit how he can be pessimistic about the world but his work is so optimistic too because he feels he owes it to the next generation that even yeah. if he's pessimistic you must welcome new people to the world with wishes for a bright future it's really beautiful oh yes very <laughs> i think very profound james uh your number three or one or one of your favorites? <laughs> uh, you know, the last one I'll mention um, is is when I say its title, it's actually a stand-in for many excellent production segments that you've done. Uh, and I will I will just say the topic is Avengers Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And I mean that to cover so much of our Marvel coverage, especially your coverage of it. Because before this podcast, I didn't understand at all how the machine that Disney now owns was working to produce these films and to be so successful and to have such high quality so many times in a blockbuster sense and, and rel in a relatively very strong critical sense, too. Uh, I didn't know who Kevin Feige was before we started our podcast. He's the head of Marvel, for anyone listening who doesn't know. Marvel Studios. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the head of Marvel Studios and the one who is the architect of all of these phases and makes sure that the continuity is right for all of these films working in the same world. I'm glad you mentioned it. I actually am a little bit surprised. I get it, but it's not something that I would think that you would pick as your number one. Um, but it's it's so fascinating, the Marvel machine. and. I think it's it's the future. 
it's the future of superhero franchises. It's the future of probably fantasy franchises. Star Wars is trying to copy what Marvel's doing. DC tried to copy and gave up what Marvel's doing, but no one is doing it better than them. And it's just, the quality that they hold themselves to is so high. And I, I just appreciate it. Like, Kevin Feige is a comic book nerd. He loves them. And you can see that in the work that he produces. And I think before Marvel, there were some movies where comic book nerds were in charge or directing them. But it wasn't cool. And, you know, you would just get directors who would take the movie for the paycheck. But I feel that because of the Marvel movies, it's now, A, cooler to be a nerd. And if you are going to be involved in one of these movies, you have to connect to the fans. So you can't just be like, oh, no, I just did it for the paycheck. You know, you can't be above it anymore. Which They've I, also seen it make enough movie stars that I think it feels good to be picked for one of these. The yeah. way it changes your career is a positive enough experience for you to maybe get into it I wasn't even talking <laughs> about the movie stars. I was talking about the people behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah, the writers and the people that are the working. The directors. Kevin the, Feige, who knows good yeah. comic writing, yeah. Yeah, and putting people who love the material in charge of it yes. has really paid off for Marvel. I mean, they have to be capable, too. There are a lot of people who love Marvel who could not do what Kevin Feige does. Yes, and, and the thing of having a studio structure in place to support new creative talent coming out of indie filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, is just so smart and so well executed repeatedly, you know, to find the Russo brothers and in part think that they can do action scenes because you saw episodes of Community <laughs> <laughs> and how, how, how much we all got to benefit, um, you know, as moviegoers for that pick, for what they've been able to do. Um, the, the, the foresight in, of who works well inside their machine has been so good. It really has. So my last pick, um, it's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I mean, it's because of Kyle's segment. Kyle, I... Hope you are listening at some point to this and know how much I loved it. But it's Black Mirror. Mm. And the reason is, like, A, it is a wonderful TV show. I think one of the best made. Um, I know I've heard the last season fell off. I didn't watch it. But also because Kyle compared it to a modern fairy tale. And we had never looked at fairy tales really before on the podcast. And they are such an important part of the myth and of the, you know, the fantasy and science fiction creation. And to look at Black Mirror as like this kind of almost how fairy tales can be warnings of what could go wrong. And Black Mirror is our modern warning of what can go wrong with technology. It was just so fascinating to me. And then to watch Black Mirror with that new light, it was it really kind of blew my mind. Yeah, because it's almost like taking the mask off something and saying, oh, that's what you are under here. You you had a new coat of paint on or a little something in front of you that was distracting me from that. We know this form of storytelling. We grew up with it. It's old. And yeah, and that that's a a fairy tale for the millennium. Yes. You know, and it's technology. Of course, technology is the big bad guy because that is what's new and scary. And that's what fairy tales a lot of times deal with. You know, the fear of what could happen with this scary thing you know it, it could be a witch because people were scared of witches uh yeah and it's not the the uh woods you know and the darkness out there and that unknown and all that that could <laughs> represent it's more so, like something like the phone in your park pocket that's where the darkness is yeah, the, that's phone the, in the, thing. the phone in your pocket is the woods now yeah and uh charlie brooker who created the series also researching him 
just seems like a nice guy who actually is optimistic about the world. Like he's fearful of technology, but he also uses it and embraces it. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the show was anti-technology. The tech's already here. It was just warning us of what could happen if we take it too far, Um, which I really appreciated about it. It wasn't just this cynical take on what the worst things that were going to happen to the world. I mean, I think that depends on what episode you watch, but I feel like overall as a show... It wasn't completely down on the human race. You know, it's funny because I think that's true of fairy tales, too, depending. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of fear about what could go wrong and where poor moral choices and interacting with the wrong people could lead you. But, you know, in the same way that there can be fear of sex in fairy tales, there can also be uh, loving relationships that that are wonderful, Mm -hmm. too, that happen romantically. And I think as far as what we're trying to do with the show and show the roots of the stories and where they came from and how they apply today, it was just one of those episodes where it so clearly did that. And I thought it was really cool. Yeah. To you, Kyle. Yay, Kyle. So now we're going to actually read uh, some, we had some friends and people who listened to the show write in. And so we're going to read what they said their favorite episodes were, which is really exciting. Yeah. And actually, before we do that, we might as well mention, um, perhaps you noticed in the lead up to this episode, we were doing giveaways of Mm -hmm. different prizes to celebrate um, reaching 100 episodes. And uh, we did a giveaway of some Hermione for President pins uh, that say, you know, Hermione 2020, uh, if only. Um, And we also uh, did a giveaway of a Black Panther playing card set. Um, And we actually have yet to do Mm -hmm. uh, a uh, giveaway that we'll we'll do when this episode is releasing of uh, Infinity Gauntlet ice cube trays. (laughs) So you can have your cocktail with the Infinity Gauntlet. Or your water. Yes, or your nice, cool, sparkling water. So this is from... Uh, Riley Willoughby, no relation at all to Kyle Willoughby. And certainly doesn't almost share a face with him. Yes, but thank you for writing in, Riley. Uh, Favorite episodes, he said, one is Oathbringer, because, well, Oathbringer, duh, it was so fantastic. Two is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, because I had never read the comic, but the episode made it sound like so much fun and like a great read. Three, The Incredibles. I liked how you brought up that the movies were focusing on real-world struggles, which most people gloss over when watching the movie. And I had not seen it yet, and I felt like a much more educated consumer. First of all, Riley, thank you so much for writing in, and thank you for also being so interactive with us and listening all the time. We love you very much. Yes, we do. Um, And Oathbringer is great. I thought about mentioning it. It's one of my favorite books of all times. It's by Brandon Sanderson. It's a high fantasy book. Um, Can make it hard to read other fantasy yeah, a little really bit. Does. It's so good. <laughs> it's um, what I want. <laughs> but um, having the Shard cast on as guest was fantastic. People who really know the world and were able to speak very, very thoroughly about it um, with like so much knowledge was if, amazing. If we had a longer list of favorite episodes, that definitely would have been one because it's it's about my current favorite fantasy series that you know that's ongoing and we had people who were so much more knowledgeable than us to talk about a thing we love and that is a distinct pleasure of having a podcast yes yes unbeatable squirrel girl i'd almost forgotten about that i mean it's a great comic i haven't read the whole series through but i've read the first three trades and they are wonderful they are um and i'm glad you really liked it riley because i feel like it's a comic that more people should read um and I- I think there's people who think that they don't enjoy 
Marvel comics, mm-hmm. you know, and they think it's limited to just those the, the big guys that are getting the movies. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, no, this is a fun look at that world that you could enjoy. You would love to ride with her. Yeah, I think a lot of people who don't like the big boy comics, because they are sometimes hard to get into because it's such an interconnected world. And if you don't know who X is, you might not understand this part of the story. I completely understand that. But Squirrel Girl is its own thing. And it's really upbeat and it's really fun. It's amazing to see such a positive female superhero, you know, leading the charge because she's great and she's not gloomy. She's upbeat. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. So I'm glad you brought her up, Riley. And then um, The Incredibles. Um, First time we covered Pixar. Pixar. And it was really interesting to look at, you know, Pixar trying to recreate the modern family and the struggles that the, I guess, a particular type of modern family would face. And a particular type of modern American family. Yeah, yeah. A a look at it that uh, I think, you know, uh, Pixar is actually good at doing something that is appealing to multiple age ranges and that actually has enough substance to hook you in in a in a in, in not a superficial feeling sort of way you know to actually really impact you while delighting you and especially with the action in incredibles too to still mm-hmm. have that there and pixar is such an impressive company the work it, that they do is always top notch and the effort and the time they put into it yeah yeah well i, I we just got to do toy story 4 i yeah. was glad we got another shot at talking about pixar and their creative process i'm sure we you know there'll be ample uh, material there for another episode in the future And then I'm going to read one more. Uh, This is from Diana. She's a friend of ours at the Happily Ever Aftermath podcast. So thank you for writing in, Diana. Yes. And she said that one of the topics I really enjoyed was Kamala Khan's Miss Marvel. My Marvel Marvel knowledge comes from Saturday morning cartoons in the MCU. So I am a blank slate on all the more recent storylines and characters. Naturally, the discussion of the industry's view of women in comic books had me glued to my earbuds. Still, it was this character's creation and the impact that made this topic move to the top of my brain. Thank you for writing in, Diana. I love Miss Marvel. I love Kamala Khan. I was so happy we got to cover her. We did that uh, as a partnership with the Captain Marvel movie that came out. And we got to do it with the fake geek girls. Yes, yes, we did. Which is always great. And they were very knowledgeable about the comic book industry in general. I feel like more way, like they're... They have a very deep well of knowledge that's yes, wonderful to tap into. Yes, and especially, too, about uh, Marvel's diversity initiative right. and the fruits of that and what led to it and, and what led to them feeling the need for it. Also, the before they felt the need to it, how they treated women. Oh, boy. And the thing is, you I could have guessed it. I think if I'd really thought about it, I could have guessed it, but I hadn't really thought about it. And then when I was going through the history of women in comics, and you think of all the half-dressed women on all the comic book covers— and that's what women kind of were, except maybe mothers or girlfriends that needed to be rescued. Yeah, it's actually, it's a funny thing, especially growing up with something like comic books where you get accustomed to a certain portrayal at such a young age, you know, so you don't know anything else and it strikes you as normal because it's presented as such. Uh, the idea, Looking at a comic like Ms. Marvel, when you look at how she's dressed and you get used to it and then you read another comic, it is then striking mm-hmm. what normal has been. It becomes weird. I, I think it's actually it's similar to uh, watching something like X-Men Apocalypse. And, of course, you've been reading 
the X-Men and you've seen Psylocke's costume in the X-Men, but then all of a sudden you see Olivia Munn wearing it when she gets with Apocalypse and you go, whoa, (laughs) that's a heck of a costume change. She's actually walking around like that. And it's like, yeah, but that's what you grew up thinking. Yes, that's naturally what every woman would be wearing to fight. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Well, as a kid, we just, we accepted accept it. it. Yeah, yeah, you accept it, especially young boys who they're catering to at that time. Oh, yeah. Diana, thank you so much for writing in. We was great to hear. And thank you to everyone else who wrote in. We really appreciate your comments. We sure do. And listening to us at all. My goodness. <laughs> thank you. You heroes. Yeah. So before we end our podcast, James, do you know what Kyle's favorite topic is? Uh, I think I know what you're going to guess, and I, I think it's one of my guesses, but I don't know that we're right. Uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, well, I it's one of my top guesses. But you know what I wanted to guess? No. I wanted to guess Overwatch so I could sneak in some Overwatch talk oh, in our, Overwatch our favorite too. podcast. I also think he loves Witchwood Crown, which is a fantasy series that we covered, and that was something I really enjoyed covering, A, reading, because I love high fantasy, and covering because we talked about the evolution of fantasy after Tolkien. Yes, the bridge between Tolkien and our modern or our contemporary fantasy. And Blade Runner was really interesting because Kyle is a huge Philip K. Dick fan. I enjoy Philip K. Dick too. And to talk about that, um, even though I didn't love the movie, was very interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's times like that, especially obviously Kyle's always an asset, but um, his fandom in that regard and the reading that he's already done is such a leg up when we're covering things like that. It's the beauty of the podcast that nerd stuff is huge right now. It's the biggest I think it's probably ever been, and it's exciting to be at least on the fringes of it looking in. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Claire White. And I'm James Foey. And we are Dragon, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com. We would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. You can find the show on our social medias at dsrapodcast. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at Along With Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can find me at at James Foey Jr. That's F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. And you can find Kyle at Klex303. That's K-L-E-X-303. And you can learn more about our giveaways and stuff coming up on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Have a cold drink with Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet. (laughs) Our producer and sometimes host is James Foey. Our theme was composed by Pete Rowan, and our logo was done by Patty Hyland. Once again, this is Dragon, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a nerd manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. (laughs) 